welcome to The Scientists. Uh, we are your hosts, Madeline Freed. And I'm Blythe Robertson. And I'm not a scientist, but I do lie to myself all the time. That's true. And my qualifications are that I've been to years and years of therapy. And that's why we're qualified. So uh, this is a comedy show about truth. We kind of every month look at a different scientific concept. So we've done garbage. We've done artificial intelligence. And this month we're doing lying to yourself. And uh, I wrote down in my notes that I should include this quote. I couldn't remember why, so I'll just give it to you right up front. Uh, the only thing you can truly give another person is information. I saw this in The Fate of the Furious, the new Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> It really resonated with me, so there you go. And she has dread extensions. Is that what I'm seeing there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I watched the whole movie and I was like, I don't know if this is problematic. She is the villain, so she's I don't looking know. good. Truly. All right, so lying to yourself. It's a really good pick, right? <laughs> this is a whole genre of Google images, by the way. Like it's people looking in mirrors and seeing things that they aren't. <laughs> My favorite is this apple. He's looking in a mirror and seeing an apple core, <laughs> which is like a metaphor. It's kind of like a death wish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, right, that's a depressing one. The little chess figure sees himself with like a girlfriend, I guess. Anyways, lying to yourself. This time we're going to be psychologists. We, yeah, we've been anthropologists in the past. Uh, and again, that's why my qualification is being years of years of therapy. Also, I have a very popular Facebook thread where I give people advice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, all right, did you guys answer your surveys that you got when you came in? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Hang on to them. You're not yeah. going to turn them in. They'll be very, very useful later. So answer truthfully. All right, so what is self-deceit? Yeah, we're going to be talking all about lying to yourself, so we really want to define the terms, you know, like scientists. Uh, what is lying to yourself? So one thing we want to make clear that this is not um, self-delusion, this is self-deception. So a delusion is you are truly convinced of something that is by all reality false. Self-deception is when you can hold two things in your mind, mm -hmm. uh, knowing that one is truer, and decide to think the other one. Yeah, so I was trying to think of examples in my own life of self-deceit. And like one example is I used to really believe that if I met Ezra Koenig, we would start dating. <laughs> I was just like, it, if it happened immediately, he would be like, who is this girl? She's really cool. We now have enough mutual friends that I feel like if it was going to happen, it would happen already. Ezra Koenig is the lead singer, singer and songwriter of Vampire, yeah, Vampire Weekend. Weekend. Okay, yeah. yeah. R.I.P. Just for the insiders <laughs> here. And he did go to Harvard. No, I don't think he, he went to Columbia. Oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> Facts. Yeah, if he went to Harvard, it would have happened already. All right, um, Okay, so another self-deceit is the two years we all spent saying, there's no way Trump will be the nominee. There's no way Trump will be president. There's no way Trump will, you know, win a second term. There's no way tr Trump is now our entire government. Um, yeah, so two contrary ideas. You allow one into your consciousness for a reason. Yeah, and that's regular lying too, right? Like you know one thing is truth and true and you sell, tell it to, to somebody else and you might do that for a couple of reasons. You yeah. know, like you, it's useful for them to believe it. Now turn that back on in on yourself. <laughs> That's self And that's the show. That's the show. All right. So before we get into all of the psychology behind it, we want to bring up our first comedian. Um, he's so funny. He's 
the person in the world I wish I could be as funny as. Uh, you might have seen his work in The New Yorker. You might have seen him on TV as the page in MTV's Middle of the Night show. Please give it up for Alex Watt. I'm going to read a few things for y'all tonight. Um, whoops. Looks like I dropped um, my CPR course completion certificate that I got at work today. Um, that's good for adult first aid, um, CPR, and AED. So um, if any of you guys feel like having maybe like a heart attack or choking uh, during my performance, feel free to go ahead and I'll pop down serve you. Uh, got that in three hours. I know um, a lot of doctors go to school for about like a decade, so don't know what they're doing at med school. It's a lot of goofing around, I guess. <clears throat> First piece I'm going to read is called... Uh, I'm finally taking responsibility and blaming all of my problems on processed foods. <laughs> I've heard your pleas begging me to grow up, and I've finally decided to do something about them. Enough is enough. That's right. The time has come for me to take responsibility and stop blaming my problems on anything other than processed foods. I probably should have put down the sack of re refined grain and come to this conclusion a long time ago, but I was too busy gorging myself on what might as well be poison to comprehend what I was doing. Hey, at least hem hemlock comes from the ground. I'm happy to announce that I'm now in a place where I can admit that all my life's ills are big food's fault. To prove it, here are some of my specific failings that are directly linked to my reliance on artificial foodstuffs. One. Being born without the ability to walk. <laughs> Before I could even eat my first sleeve of Oreos, I was victimized by processed foods. My poor mother, who didn't know any better at the time, ate sour cream and onion chips throughout the entire pregnancy. Hey, it was the 90s. <laughs> As a result, it took me 9 to 12 months to stand upright and get around on my own. Have you ever seen a baby giraffe plop into the world? Those babies are practically doing the whip and the nay-nay within hours of being born. What do giraffes eat? Not Captain Crunch, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Number two, throwing up on the school bus. I bet my weight in chia seeds that children were not barfing on buses 500 years ago. What's changed? Oh, uh, I don't know, maybe what kids are eating? If I had been dared to scarf down 100 cherry heirloom tomatoes that I planted and picked myself instead of 100 jelly beans that I found hidden in the ripped upholstery of the seat in front of me, <laughs> I likely still would have gotten sick, but the coloring of my vomit would have been a whole lot different. <laughs> Purple puke simply isn't natural. You have no idea how traumatizing it is to find out about artificial dyes at such a young age. <laughs> Number three. Showing up late to my uncle's funeral. I know they're called hot pockets, but that doesn't mean they have to make molten lava look, look like a Slurpee 
which I had to stop at 7-Eleven for even though I knew the mass already started. After all, it's hard to mourn when your tongue is on fire. Come to think of it, my uncle is the one who introduced me to frozen foods. That guy loved the stuff. Maybe taunting those tigers at the zoo had less to do with his demise than those TV dinner billionaires want us to think. <laughs> Number four, being unlovable. <laughs> How am I supposed to let someone into my life when my high fructose corn syrup has the door to my heart stuck shut? That's not just a metaphor about how the sweetener can sour your emotional well-being, but the physical stickiness from eating, say, I don't know, burritos made from wrapping uh, gushers in fruit roll-ups <laughs> makes it really tough to swipe on Tinder. And good luck finding the energy to sign up for eHarmony after a sugar crash. And big number five, getting banned from every TGI Fridays in the tri-state area. Sure. I might have had one too many sangria ritas before I took a bowling pin signed by Tom Arnold off of the wall and tried to act out that scene from There Will Be Blood on an unsuspecting busboy. But I also don't see any farm-to-table items on the menu. Uh, see, my problems in processed foods are more closely linked than a can tin of Vienna sausages. Who here knows Vienna sausages? <laughs> Uh, thank you. <laughs> Luckily, it's never too late to admit you were wronged. Maybe all of this is me trying to justify my $40 a day smoothie habit, but I'll tell you one thing. I haven't felt this good in years, and it's all thanks to cutting, not blaming processed foods for everything out of my life. So that's one. Uh... This next one's called How to Hide Your Baldness from Yourself. <laughs> and I printed this out at work today. Wow, big day at work for me. Um, <laughs> and someone, this is part of someone's like serious business filings and uh, they didn't look at me when they handed it to me, which is fine. Uh, number one, just in case you forgot, it's called How to Hide Your Baldness from Yourself. Uh, wear a hat. <laughs> It'll protect your head from the elements and you from having to think about your dying follicles. You could also let your hair that you do have grow out and focus on the cumulative amount of hair in your head. <laughs> it's a numbers game, baby. <laughs> Never look at a mirror or the shower drain or your pillow. You could shave your head and convince yourself that you're bald by choice. If you cut down all the trees, no one will know about the forest fire your genetics started while trying to melt some action figures in the backyard. Uh, you could get a dog. This way, you'll have some companionship in this trying time and something to blame for all the hair that's suddenly all over your apartment. Now, you could also wear a cap. Uh, it's like wearing a hat, but classier, and also might lead to gainful employment as a cab driver cab driver, <laughs> a shepherd, or Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> you could use a tiny comb so that it looks like you're styling more hair than you actually are. A doll's brush will do just fine, if you don't mind doubling the amount of time it takes to get ready in the morning. 
you can get a free consultation for a hair transplant and then go blind with rage over how much it'll cost to look like someone sewed a shih tzu to your scalp. <laughs> it's like a small dog. <laughs> Who here has a shih tzu? <laughs> Usually gets a big response. Uh, you could spray something on your head and then go blind because that's one of its many side effects. You can find something else that you don't like about your appearance and then obsess over that for a while instead. <laughs> your hair may be on its way out, but that treasure, ma treasure map-shaped birthmark isn't going anywhere. I figured I'd make some eye contact. <laughs> Next one, uh, you can wear a bandana. Go from bald boy to bad boy in the time it takes <laughs> for you to jauntily knot a piece of fabric. Hmm. This next one I goofed up on formatting, so I'm just going to try and remember it from the top of the dome. Never let anyone take a photo of you without the top of your head obscured by whatever fun scene you're inserting your face into. <laughs> Through a circular cut. Uh, not only is this effective, but people might actually think that you hung ten with a surfer babe while playing the ukulele. Who here likes cardboard cutouts? Thank you. They could be wood, yeah, yeah, I know. More than one type. Uh, you can only befriend people who are shorter than you, and you could buy platform shoes, and you could climb to the top of a ladder and then never go back down. Uh, you can comb your remaining hair over your ears so that you can't hear people making wisecracks <laughs> about how from the back you look like someone they met at a Jimmy Buffett concert. And here's uh, the last one, so be sure to laugh really hard at it. <laughs> um, wear a sombrero. Is your hairline headed north, or does it just look that way because you've traveled so far south? <laughs> so that's about it for me. No one took me up on the heart attack? All right, still time. Thank you all. Keep it going for Alex. What? <laughs> Brooklyn's finest boyfriend. Okay, now the scientists are back. Can we? Are we professors or scientists? Uh, we're scientists. Yeah, it's called scientists, the scientists. scientists. We're scientists. All right. So, oh, I don't understand. Even though I am a scientist, I don't understand how to turn the projector on in any way. Turn on. So before, while we're trying to get the ah yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, citing our sources, we should say that Madeline loves to listen to podcasts. Sure I don't because do. I only listen to One Direction. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and the new Harry Styles is very good. Uh, and Madeline heard an episode of Radiolab that's about deception, mm -hmm. which inspired this. And then we did a lot of reading. Yeah, so if you want to just hear this show again, <laughs> go <laughs> listen to Radiolab. Uh, it's called Lying to Yourself. And they interviewed Harold Sackheim and Ruben Gurr, and we're going to talk about what they researched. Um, so we're adding some flair, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. So Harold Sackheim is a psychologist. He's a professor. Here he is. Uh, Ruben Gurr, here's him. I emailed Harold Sackheim, and he didn't get back to me. <laughs> um, but I just want you to know that if you want to email anyone, you can. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this show has taught me. I know. It's really real. Google.com. 
search for people's emails, you find them. It's incredible. People email me all the time with like random shit, and I'm like, you know what? It's fine. Why not? Um, so <laughs> do it. So <laughs> Hill Tech, I'm very good mustache. Ruben Gurr, clean shaven. So here's a mustache for him. Just a little one. So these two guys were interested in the lies that we tell to ourselves. Yeah. So they did two experiments to people. And the first one was they sat people in a room. They had people record uh, themselves talking. And they sat them in a room, put that recording with a bunch of other people. Saying the same thing. Same thing. And said, hit a button when you hear your name. Yes. Or you hear your voice. So something like hey, how are you? And then you hear everybody else saying, hey, how are you? And you have to hit the button when it's you. And your body knows when it's you. It has a physical reaction to it. Your blood pressure raises or something. I don't know. Um, and uh, so you are recognizing it, but it may not go to your conscious mind. So there were some people who were good at this and some people who were bad at this. And they just collected information on who was good and who was bad. Yeah. Some people could listen to their bodies, listen to their voices, and recognize themselves. Some c people couldn't. And as you might expect, some people were bad in that they, like, never thought it was themselves. And some people overthought it was themselves. So they did that. They got that data. Next experiment. Is whip those babies out. It's your survey. survey. So take Remember out your that? survey. Wow. Okay. Uh, this survey was... Uh, the survey that they gave, <laughs> and it was important because this is what they gave to that same group of people. Uh, so whip those babies out. Just consider them. We're not going to get any audience participation. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, it turns out that um, Harold and Rube um, think that if you didn't answer a bunch of sevens on your survey, you're a dang liar. Yeah. You're a big dang liar. They think, and we can, we can discuss this, yeah. uh, we, they think that these list of questions are sort of universally true for human beings, period. And that each of you really, truly are a seven for each of these answers. And me and Blythe, too. Yeah. And Alex Watt. <laughs> uh, you remember the comedian. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Although I have to say, like, I personally think maybe that's a little bit problematic to say, like, two white, educated, probably rich men sat in a room or a bar, wherever they were, and thought these 20 things are true for all people. Like, that seems a bit presumptuous to me. So, you know, grain of salt, grain of salt. But um, it is interesting because there are some embarrassing questions. So take a look at what you answered and did you – Tend towards the ones, or did you tend towards the sevens? Uh, just think to yourself and don't tell us. So what did you <laughs> <laughs> what did you answer on these? Okay, so yeah, the question is, are you a liar, right? The question, and the answer is, I am not a liar. I answered seven on a lot of these questions, and sixes. Yeah, too. same. I think I only answered three of them on the not sevens side. What were the three? Oh. <laughs> uh, okay, see, you're not supposed to be embarrassed because these are supposed to be universally true for all people. So <laughs> I'm not embarrassed. But what were the ones that <laughs> were not true for you? Okay, um, 
Have you ever felt hatred towards either of your parents? Really? Neither of your parents ever? Neither of my parents. My parents are perfect. I just went on vacation with my family, and my mom said the theme of this vacation is I am dying. (laughs) Because if I'm dying, then you won't argue with one another. So we almost... (laughs) Oh. I know. So me and my brother got matching tattoos. This is a new tattoo I got in Dublin. And we were almost going to... I've seen that. I know, right? Oh, nice. And we almost got tattoos that said, Mom, RIP 2017. (laughs) (laughs) But then we were like, there's, you know, seven months left. And like, if she dies in 2017, it'll be a whole problem. My my mother has... (laughs) My mother has always said um, that at least at her funeral, we can say at least we don't have to buy Mother's Day gifts anymore. <laughs> that's my my we mom. We don't buy Mother's Day gifts. Okay. I love that. And also my mom said on vacation, her funeral should be a little bit funny because she's so funny, but not <laughs> too funny because people should be really sad. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, uh, agreed. No, I don't. I've never felt hatred towards either of my parents, at least. Maybe okay. I'm revisionist history, but I have not. Uh were your parents ever mean to you? Also, okay. no. Okay, that's a little bit of a lie. <laughs> but no, it's not a lie at all. Uh, have you ever thought that your parents hated you? No. These are all parents-related. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad um, that you had good parents. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I did, I did, I did. Um, and does every attractive person of the opposite sex turn you on? No way. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ghost says you're wrong. Okay, I, how about you? I answered you? a five for the every attractive person of the other sex because, like, conventionally attractive people really freak me out, like Daniel mm. Craig. It's oh. Like, what do I do with you? Is he conventionally attractive? I mean, he's got muscles, so that's what I consider. I don't trust people with blue eyes. Yeah, see, oh, no. <laughs> that's me. I know. Um, I said for number seven, do you ever feel attracted to people of the same sex? I said no. And I feel like that's just like I really wish I did because men are oppressing me and I don't. I wish I didn't want to kiss all of them, but that's I do. very, very insulting to queer people. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Their lives are hard, too. I know, I know. That's My true. life. I'm queer. Number 19, have you ever wanted to rape or be raped by someone? I feel like that's kind of a white man question to say this is true for everyone. Okay. Because, like... But... (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really true. It's totally not something I answered a seven to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not embarrassed in front of you strangers and friends. Oh, and then number 18, <laughs> just going along with we're not embarrassed of anything. I never thought about this until you told me about this survey. And I was like, no. And then over the years since you told me, I've been like, honestly, okay, yeah. That's enjoying a bowel movement, everyone, which we all have, guys. It's a relief. People like their butts being touched. Hello. Um, and yeah. is there any other interesting ones on here? Um Anything that anything you want to? No, that was it for me. Um, The rest, it's like sevens. Yeah, all seven. So, okay, we are not liars, but hey, guess what? That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Okay, so back to Harold and Rube. Harold and Rube. It's the same group of people. Some couldn't recognize their voices, and some were liars in their survey. It turns out you put those two groups together. They are highly correlated with, you know, failing and succeeding at both tests. They're considered liars. And they end up doing really well in life. Yeah. So, like, 
They're better at a lot of things, including life outcomes. So, you know, that's your ending that's up married one. to Ezra Koenig. <laughs> yeah. Uh, happiness. They're like more Ezra happy. Koenig, super happy. Uh-huh. More money. They make more money. Here's a tweet that Ezra Koenig tweeted about having two watches. He was really into the idea of having two watches for like six months in 2014. It's a big deal. (laughs) I can see why you love them. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're better at lying, you're actually faster at swimming. Yeah. You're faster at swimming, guys. Faster at swimming. This This is something huge. How fast you get at swimming. And I just, I wanted to, I want to, I want to point out that I couldn't find a picture of Ezra Koenig swimming. So here's a photo of him running on a beach, which is like land swimming. (laughs) So the swimming thing was found out by Dr. Joanna Starek, Starek. She's a psychologist. She works at like a fucking think tank or something now. And she did an experiment where she gave this test to a bunch of like college swimmers. And she found that there was a huge correlation between the ones who were the fastest and the ones who were the biggest liars. Yeah, these are people who like look the same in terms of build and they're the same age and they're from the same area and they have all sorts of similar life experiences. They were all you know, swimmers for their whole lives and then some are top performers and some are not. Um, yeah, and it's, she found that it was like associated with stress reduction, positive self-bias, increased pain tolerance. It's just like across the board, a lot of good shit. Can we talk more about the swimming on the next slide? Because I want to tell you one more thing about the swimming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is how it's different than – this is different than delusion. The people who are the best swimmers, when they interviewed them, they know they're doing this. They know very well that they are deceiving themselves on purpose. So they're not deluded into thinking they're the best. They just have chosen to have that patter in their mind, like – you're undefeatable, or whatever winners think. (laughs) 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 Um, And so this is a very distinct choice, and it's something that actually helps you. And so this thing that could sort of sound like a, you know, a delusion or a lie, like if you are making it on purpose, something changes about it. Yeah. So as the queen Tina Fey said, uh, Confidence is 10% hard work and 90% delusion. And I really relate to this. And there's someone in the audience who I told, I wouldn't make any jokes about him tonight, but I'm going to just tell you one thing that he did to me. (laughs) Um, I feel like I am deluding myself that I'm a lot more talented than I am because you got to do it if you want to be successful. And like I go around, I'm really mad at this person because I work with him and he won't tell me that I'm a genius, even though I feel that I am. Mm -hmm. So I like to go into his office and yell at him and say, like, I'm a genius, I'm a genius. And he's like, get out of my office. This is working hours. But I feel like if you don't believe it, you're never going to be Tina Fey, right? Mm -hmm. Tina Fey was in some guy's office yelling that she's a genius. That's right. Also, is this... Is this the person who thought you no, weren't No, stop. Wait, 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 wait. Don't. I told him I'd be nice to him. Okay. Okay. So. Blight's really good on the SATs. All sections of it. And don't <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> and with that, we want to bring up our next comedian. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, he has been uh, performing at Second City in Chicago, but we finally stole him back to New York. Uh, and he is, uh, you know, a genius and a, a luminary. Um, and he's also performing 
uh, next Saturday, not this Saturday, next Saturday at Duplex at 7. It's going to be an hour-long show uh, of magic. And uh, we can't wait to see it. And we can't wait to see him, Zach Zimmerman! Hello. Thank you, Blythe. Thank you, Madeline. Uh, yes, I've been here about a month now. Um, am I showing? Uh, and... I uh, come to you from Southern Virginia, where I grew up uh, very Christian. Thank you. And who's here from Southern? Hey, which part? Uh, from Lynchburg. Oh, okay. I'm from Roanoke. Yes, there are places named Lynchburg in the South. <laughs> it's like a real thing. Um, my name is Zach Zimmerman on Playgrounds. I had a lot of nicknames, uh, Double Z, ZZ Top, Faggot, um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Playground, Sticks and Stones. Uh, I uh, am no longer... Uh, a Southern Baptist Christian like I was. I am now, I've converted to homosexuality, and that inspires uh, my characters. Um, so I'm going to become a character now for you uh, through the uh, power and magic of lying and theater. And uh, hit it, David. in magic? Do you believe in God? Prepare to believe in both. I am Luke Babylon. Babylon Christian magician. I use close-up miracles to educate people about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The events you will witness tonight are miraculous. You may think to yourself that I'm a charlatan. You may think your eyes deceive you, but nay, which is Bible for no. <laughs> Rather, it is the first magician, God himself, who made the earth appear, who made sin disappear, and can transform your lives forever. Uh, everyone in the audience now, um, I'd like you all to select a card. A magician would often ask you to pick a physical card. I'd like you to select a card spiritually. Yes? Everyone now, I'd like you to think of a card. Any suit, uh, clubs, spades, hearts or diamonds, any number, ace, uh, all the way through king. Does everyone have a card? Yes? And now, uh, miss, would you mind standing? And, and miss, what's your name? Noel. Noel. And when did you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord? <laughs> right now. Whoa! Yes! Put it up on the board, Blythe! Oh, excellent, excellent. Now, miss, the audience may think uh, Noel, what a name, too. Yes, he's the, the, the Christ child is born. He, he just saved me tonight. Yes. Um, I, people may think you're a plan, so I'd like you to pick someone else, yes? To also stand. You, sir. Oh, hello again. Uh, would you mind standing? And would you also pick an individual to stand? Yes, and uh, whoever he's pointing at, please stand. Yes, and we'll do this again. And again. Oh, stay standing, ma'am. Yes, yes. Yes, and one final person, sir. Yes, six individuals chosen at random, except for you, Noel. Any one of the others could have been. Uh, and now here, what else has six uh, but this? Do you know what this is, miss? Magic dice? Yes, yes. And the singular? Uh, <laughs> dice is the plural? Dice is the plural, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Now you do. The singular is die. Die? Die, yes. Which you will one day. 
And the decision that you make here tonight, you're paying taxes and you're going to die. And Christ has already paid your taxes. And uh, I'd like you to roll this die now on the stage. We've got six individuals and six uh, dots on the, yes, perfect. Six, excellent. Who was our last person chosen? Please stay standing, sir. Everyone else take a seat. Hello, sir, what's your name? Mill. Mill? Bill. 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 <laughs> you don't work at a mill, do you? All right. No worries. Um, Bill, do you believe in God? Sort of. Uh, Bill, do you believe in God? <laughs> it's it's a binary question, Bill. Hell is not a spectrum. <laughs> You do, excellent, Bill. And you chose a card earlier, yes? I did. You did. And and Bill, um, you've you've read the Bible, I assume, since you believe in God, yes? Um, yes, I actually have. Excellent, amazing. <laughs> so you have. What's your? Uh, do you have a favorite verse? Um, in the beginning. Ah. <laughs> you didn't get very far, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get very far. That's all right, Bill. Uh, you chose a card at random, yes? Yes, I did. And what was that card? Seven of Clubs. The Seven of Clubs, yes. You chose that card of your own will. And the Bible is amazing, Bill, not just because of its very first sentence, but because of the secrets it has inside of it. And the secrets that you can keep safe here in the Bible. Um, and I put my favorite verse as the code. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And what's that inside this Bible for you? I bet it's the Seven of Clubs. You bet it's the Seven of Clubs. Uh, it's a deck of cards, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all right. In, in heaven, Bill will have perfect vision. Uh, um, it's, it's a deck of cards, Bill, and it's curious because I, I haven't touched the deck, yes? Right, Bill? As far as I can tell. Well, until now. And, and Bill, would you be, you believe in God, but maybe uh, this person who just converted, maybe, maybe Noel was kidding, and maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe Noel will not feel the need to lie. Maybe Noel, when she sees what the very front card of this deck is, Bill, what was your card? Seven of clubs. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Oh, Thank you. And it, it's the only card in the deck that's facing a different. Did I do that wrong? Yes. It's the only card that's facing a different direction, Bill. Make a joyful noise. Yes. Lord. And thank you, Bill. Oh, my goodness. It's so nice to perform uh, for adults. I, um, <laughs> often I find myself performing at birthday parties and uh, weddings and uh, unsuspecting bat mitzvahs. Uh, and this, like uh, Madeline, would you mind joining me quickly on stage? You all, a round of applause for our wonderful hosts. Yeah. I've got uh, one final thing I'd like to show you both. Uh, we all talk about lying, yes? Yeah. Yes, and uh, lies are sins, aren't they? <laughs> yes, Madeline. Uh, I'd like you, Madeline, just to take a card and I'd like you to write a sin on it, yes? <laughs> and I'd like each of us to think of a sin that we've uh, committed, either today or in the past. We've lied to an old friend, and an adultery we've committed, uh, a murder, uh, a <laughs> of ourselves before God, yes? And write, write your name right I on it. I hope you done. Yeah. And write my name on it? Yes, judging others. <laughs> 
<laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, make uh, applause for vulnerability. Yes. Now, we all we all have sins, uh, Madeline. Yes, and we try to we try to bury them. We try to to bury them beneath other things, behind uh, closed doors, or uh, to keep them from friends. But sins have a funny way of making their way to back on top. Yes, yes, yes. We'll, we'll try it again. We'll bury it. Now, how how do you keep your sins from others? How do I keep my sins yes. from others? Yes. Yes. Yes, oh, interesting. <laughs> yes. That, is that a successful strategy? No, because they come right back on top. Dear sweet Madeline, hold on to that, hold on to that. And that's your card, yes? Yes, that's my card. Yes, you yeah. wrote judging others on it, yes. It, it's, again, so strange. You might try to hide it from, from your parents. You might try to hide it from your friends. And yet somehow, God finds a way to bring your sins right out to <laughs> Now, Madeline, I'm going to put your card over here. Yes, yes, stick your hands out like that. Yes, perfect. Uh, and put your other hand on top. Yes, perfect. Like you're praying. Um, <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever prayed before? Excellent, excellent. So your, your card is over here. And, and I'm just going to make sure, let, let's see, make sure we have. Oh, yes, this could be another sin. <laughs> what, what other sin did you want oh. to write down, but you knew I would read it to everyone? <laughs> um, another sin? Um, oh, I don't believe in sins. Oh, no. Um. That's the ultimate sin. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Madeline, we put your sin over there, but as I said, God has a way of bringing your sins. <laughs> Madeline, Madeline, I'm telling you now, though, that Jesus can wash your sins away. Yes, all 52 of your sins. Madeline, if I, if I were to tell you that Jesus can wash your sins away, would you believe me? You don't believe me. And yet, Madeline, he has. All your sins have vanished. Do you believe me? No, you don't. But open your hands and look. God has washed her sins away. Make a joyful noise. To the Lord. It's magical. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Keep it going for Luke Babylon. Oh, Luke Babylon. Oh my God. Zach Zimmerman. He's kind <laughs> and smart. Can and we get giving. the projector on again? Also, I live with Luke Babylon, so I get to see oh, yeah. all of these. Yeah. Right. Close and His number one credit is he is Blythe's roommate. <laughs> <laughs> we tricked him into living with Blythe so that we could hang out with him more. <laughs> all right. So basically, as we said, lying to yourself is correlated with all this great shit. So basically, you should be lying to yourselves, according to Sackheim and Gurr. I am still just wasted <laughs> by that magic trick. <laughs> wasted. It's All right, so what's good. next? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, lie to yourselves. Okay, but don't be an asshole. Like, lie to yourselves if it doesn't hurt other people. Right, 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 right. So, so clearly there's something to it, right? There's, like, there's power in the narrative. We don't... You know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. something. So, like, lie to yourself to say that you're great, but don't lie to yourself in a way that is, like, I'm great and everyone else should die. Right, and there's some sort of line. As a cautionary tale, we can talk about politics. Mm, Just really quickly. All right, so to. I know, I know. So self-deceit on a political level. So everyone's favorite linguist, Noam Chomsky. We love him. 
Yeah, give it up if you fell asleep in a Noam Chomsky lecture one time. Love him. Yeah. So he has spoken about um, the difference between deliberative and instrumental decision-making. So sorry uh, if you don't want to learn real things about yourself, but this is, like, super true. So when you're trying to make a decision, there's a stage in which you genuinely care about what are the pros and cons. That's the deliberative stage. You're, like, really assessing the options. But there comes a moment where you make a decision, and after that moment – you don't you act like you still care about what the pros and cons are, but anything that doesn't support the decision you've already made, you just decide that it's not important and you rationalize it. Which we've all done like in our lives. Yeah, it's, it's a cognitive bias. We yeah. all have cognitive biases. Y'all know what cognitive biases are, right? We all have. So it. it's like fine I mean, uh, uh, uh so there's levels. So when you're doing it yourself, you're like, I wanna read this book and not this book. I don't know. I have a crazy system where I only read my books in order of what color they are and it doesn't mm. make any sense and I have to make a lot of rationalizations to No, that's how we go make meaning this. in our cold yeah. lives. No, uh <laughs> Uh, there's one little one little note about this one. Um, I once learned in the only political science class I ever took in college when I decided that I would not be a political science major um, that uh, all you have to do when it comes to your own party's candidates in the primary is you get a gut instinct on which one you like more. And then past that, you are just cognitive bias into the sunset. You do not listen to any uh, fact. I mean, like any facts that comes in either bolster your case or you throw away. Like that's a very common thing that humans do, you know, to ally themselves with their tribe. But it really is just like there really isn't a deliberate deliberative phase. You like see, you know, your yeah. deliberative phase is just like, who do I like? Oh, no. um, so that's and then and then you then it's cognitive bias. So. That's a problem with being unlikable or That's a woman. Also, really interesting because uh, <laughs> I'm from Illinois, and in I want to say 2004, because I was in eighth grade, uh, we had like a senatorial election, and I went on all of the websites for the candidates and read all of their position statements and really thought about who I agreed with most, and I decided I agreed with some fucking jerk that I don't even remember his name. And I came home and my mom was like, so you support Obama, right? And I was like, no, I actually support, you know, John Gray or whatever the fuck. And she was like, that's because you're racist. Mm, see? But she's dying, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, right, R.I.P. Blythe's yeah, mom. So, okay, so there can, you know, obviously there's levels, we all do this, but when you're George Bush and you want to invade Iraq and you decide that it doesn't matter that there aren't WMDs, that's a different problem, Right. The deliberative phase was over. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was like he made the decision and very quickly it was all instrumental decision making. And I think that's interesting because, you know, at the time we were like George Bush is a war criminal. Now we're like, it's so cute. George Bush doesn't know how to work a poncho because. And <laughs> great painter. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, he paints dogs. It's so great. Because now we've got a man who's literally never been in a deliberative decision making stage uh, as our president. I literally don't think he's ever considered a pro and con in his fucking life. So I have something to say about Trump, um, which is that I don't think that he works the way that anybody thinks he does. I think we are all failing to psychologize him. I think we literally have no idea. And any attempt to think 
is wrong. I think whatever yeah. is happening is a real weird secret and a weird, real weird outlier. Yeah. I think every time you're like, oh, well, he's smart as a fox, dumb like a fox. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong. You're wrong. Something else yeah. is happening. Something else is happening and we don't know. Yeah. I feel like we're living in a stage where science and math don't work anymore because, like, before I'd be like, oh, what are the polls for, like, the England election happening right now? And I, now I'm like, literally, who gives a fuck? Even to the point where it's like the weather. I used to care about the weather app, and now I'm like, <laughs> who knows? Okay. <laughs> okay, we're about to bring our next meeting, but I have to make a serious point. Polls are not science and math. Polls are not science and math. Polls are random phone calls made to people who pick up their phones. No one picks up their phones. Have you ever picked up a phone of a strange number? No, and they don't even have your cell phone numbers. No, polls are not science and math. Okay, let's bring on our next comedian. A good point. Yeah, so our next comedian is so funny uh you may have seen her at carnegie hall as one of the three busy deborahs oh. um maybe you've seen her work on tv she writes for the president show speaking oh. of trump uh <laughs> she's just so funny so great please give it up for mitra johari i love shaking hands with my friends uh okay so guys um Comedy's hard right now uh, because of everything going on. So I've decided to move on to something else. Um, and this show actually kind of inspired sort of a thought experiment. Bear with me. I think, you know, using some powerful language. No, it's okay. Um, this is really fucked up, but... Um, <laughs> so we're talking about delusion, right? Um, we've all heard of... Who here has heard of pop science? A show of hands, perfect for a live show, thank you. <laughs> so pop science, for those of you who don't know what it is, uh, pop science uh, is when you're not a scientist but you call what you do science. Um, so you know, think like Malcolm Gladwell. Um, so um, most of you probably don't know this, um, probably none of you know this, but I actually did one semester of neuroscience at The Ohio State University. Um, yeah. So, um, that being said, I'm now a doctor and I would like to present to you uh, the art of delusion. And here we go. Um, so, who am I? Dumb bitch. Um, I'm very stupid. I dropped out of college because I didn't feel like doing it anymore. Um, I didn't like it, so I left. Um, so, those are my credentials. Um, prior to that, I was doing okay at college. Um, I got a D minus in um, a high school math class and then cried so it could become a C minus. So I am powerful at um, deluding my teachers into giving me good grades. My inspiration, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, um, interesting person. We uh, could, I like, could have dressed up like him, I feel like, and people would have believed it. We kind of look alike. We know the face got a little fro, lanky little fucker. Um, I read his book, Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking, uh, for my junior high AP psych class. Yes, an additional credit for this presentation. So this is a real quote from his Wikipedia page. College was not an intellectually fruitful time. He did not get into a grad school. Interesting, we have a lot in common, me and Malcolm Gladwell. Anyone can write a book. 
some of his best works. Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking, Outliers, The Tipping Point. I don't know what any of the other ones are about. I'll never read them. I hate them. But I did decide to write my own spin-off versions. I did some books too. Masturbation, The Power of Fucking Without Fucking. Outliers, maybe you're just fucking weird. Uh, the Tipping Point, you know what you did, bitch. So, a case study, the art of delusion, the dark art. I've also noticed something. Comedy's going just okay. What should I do about that? You know who makes a lot of money? The guys from the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. So Malcolm Gladwell's kind of uh, cornered the liberal pop science department. What about the alt-right? I am an alt-right pop scientist, starting tonight. And just so you know, I'm Middle Eastern, so you have to keep laughing, otherwise you're not woke. <laughs> oh, okay, great. So, beginning thesis for my alt-right pop science career. Science is pretentious. So, with that going forward, let's dive in. Let's first break down the art of delusion, the etymology of delusion. Delusion comes from Desi and Lucy Arnaz. They got a lesion in their brain. They have bad ideas. And now we never have to think about that again. How does a delusion work? Step one, data enters your thought trough. That's what the liberals call your brain. Data is an information. So information can come in many forms. Inside of your brain lives a thought monster named Synapse. Synapse gobbles up the thought slops that come inside. From here on, thought slops will be used to replace the word data. Thought slop passes through your think monster and becomes a memory when the monster shits it out into the slop hole, which is your stomach. Memories get together as you age and have a nasty bareback fuck orgy. They are all straight and white for my old right listeners. From those fuck orgies come babies called delusions. All right, so now we can move into some common delusions. Here are 10 common delusions. One, I am happy. No, no one is happy. Everyone is miserable because I am miserable. I am the center of the universe. I am the sign of worship. Two, abortions happen. Abortions don't happen. Good, a delusion set forth by the liberal media. Capitalism is key. Richest people and then everyone else dies. I have a million dollars from a hotel that my dad set on fire. Four. Delusion, there was a moon landing. There wasn't one moon landing, there were a hundred moon landings and I was there for all of them. They happened on Mars. Five, delusion, people come from sex. No way. Six, alt-right people, listen up. Delusion, sexuality and gender exist on a spectrum and is, is binary. No, there is a binary and it is people who fuck and people who are me. All right, lock her up, my pussy. <laughs> Seven, delusion, cigarettes is bad. Yeah, right, I eat a fire every day. Eight, you can't, delusion, you can't get pregnant in a hot tub. You can only get pregnant in a hot tub. I've tried, and that brings me to my final delusion, which is our in-depth case study. I think I am pregnant. Now this one is interesting because it's a lot of mini delusions in a lot of delusions. This is actually amazing because it is what came with the keynote PowerPoint that I was using. So I figured I'd keep it, but just imagine that this is me, but this is still my son. Um, 
So, a lot of mini delusions inside of one large delusion. Okay, so, one, big, one delusion to start it. One, I am hot enough for a boyfriend. I am delusional, my boyfriend is much hotter than me. Two, I don't have time to take birth control. Of course you have time to take birth control. I am lazy, I do not take my birth control because I do not feel like it. Three, I don't need a condom. Of course I need a condom, but I love fucking without the condom. Four, it is normal to miss a period. It's not normal for me to miss a period, but uh, alas, a lot of time has gone by. <laughs> Next, don't worry about it. You should worry about it. Then finally, you accept the truth and a new delusion begins. The delusion, it's not normal to miss a period. A lot of people do miss periods. Finally, pregnancy is the only reason to, uh, to gain weight. My next delusion. I actually have a lot of reasons for gaining weight. I stopped going to my gym that I pay a lot of money to go to and is across from the street of where I work. <laughs> I still do not go. Uh, I stopped eating well because salad is boring and I hate it and I realized that there is a Papa John's that I can order from and it makes me feel like I'm back at home. Um, seven, the final delusion, I am pregnant. Now, how do we solve this? How do we fight delusions? I actually, I do want to say, I did compose this song. Um, so, the cure, whoa, hey -oh, the cure for delusion. Now, this is tailored to my audience, and Malcolm Gladwell makes, uh, at Wikipedia press time, uh, $50,000 per speech. Um, so for my audience, uh, this is a rehearsal for them. So uh, the cure for a delusion is no cure. Descend farther and farther into your delusion until you lose touch with all reality and every person that is different. Do not consult facts. Only consult your gut and your parents and what they told you. Uh, in conclusion, I'm stupid. Thank you so much. I'm Mitra Johar. Stupid, thank you so much, yeah, Major Johari. Again, Woo! again. Oh, she's so good. That she's so, so talented. Good. Also, one time my mom emailed me, subject line, a tweet for you, and the whole body of the email was Malcolm Gladwell probably has 10,000 hours practice at thinking he's better than everyone else because <laughs> he's an expert. <laughs> and that's the only time she's ever suggested a tweet for me. But that's a really good tweet. I know, I know. My mom has her own Twitter. It's really good. <laughs> it's better than mine. <laughs> At Nomali. Mm -hmm, check it out. I follow her and I love it. Uh, all right, so lying to yourself is creating a useful narrative. Oh, no, I, like, somehow added this on top of everything. Okay, oh, so. now you know <laughs> the funny part. Yeah, the funny part is So, all right. So, it's true that the universe exists and it's so big and you're not important yeah that's the truth that's the truth is that whatever heat death of the universe etc even if you know we all survive to 200 or however long we're supposed to survive <laughs> yeah it doesn't doesn't then really matter yeah and the universe is so big that's the truth yeah but i learned this from watching the fault in our stars um, this is Hazel Grace Lancaster, played by Shailene Woodley. This is Ansel Elgort playing a character whose name I don't remember. And she, they flirt by, they're in a cancer group together, and she stands up and she's like, oblivion is inevitable. Like, no, in 
like some amount of time, everyone's going to forget Cleopatra and Mozart, and so they're definitely going to forget you, and it might be tomorrow, and it might be in a million years, but like oblivion's happening. That's what that quote yeah, says. Yeah, and then he's like, I have to date this girl. And <laughs> the cigarette is a metaphor, so don't worry. Um, but yeah, it's true. Like, we're all going to die, but who cares? Like, well, I think it's important to read this last bit. Uh, there were. There was a time before organisms experienced consciousness, consciousness, and there will be a time after. And if the inevitability of human oblivion worries you, I encourage you to ignore it. God knows that's what everyone else does. Yeah. So, I mean, Graham Greene, right? That's Graham Greene? No, no, John no. Green. <laughs> John Greene. <laughs> Different literary <laughs> luminary. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> John Green was like, or Graham Green was a, sur- a super Catholic guy who's like the first half of his books is like super sexy affair, and then the second half is everyone's like, but we're Catholic. Oh, okay, good. I've um, never read either of them. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's like they can think that it, Oblivion's inevitable and think that it's an exciting idea because they're cancer teens and they're gonna die. Spoiler. Like. <laughs> But, you know, I'm like a normal human who has to go on with my life. And, like, it doesn't help me to think all the time about how I'm not important. Yeah. This is this is what life is about. Like, lying to yourself, we could also call creating narrative. Yeah. And narrative is everything for little human beings. And we can decide which ones are important. Yeah. So, like... At every moment, there's tons of shit happening to you. Like, tons of events are happening to you. And it would be impossible to understand your life if you didn't, like, make a narrative about it. Uh, Madeline had a quote that she likes, which is... It's by Joan Didion. We tell ourselves stories in order to live. And, like, Joan Didion's a genius, so I believe anything she says, but also... This is supported by Dan McAdams, who is the chair of the psychology department at Northwestern. Uh, He's written about this a lot. And he said that the self is both the storyteller and the stories that are told. So it's like literally you are the one who's deciding what the narratives are, but you're also like the narratives that you decide to be. Um, And an interesting thing that he wrote about that, I didn't think about before I read it and then I was like oh my god that's so true is he found that when significant events happen to people they would tell the story of that event to people over and over and kind of like decide through those tellings what the narrative was and how it fit into who they are as a person yeah trying different things out I mean I'm sure think of all the times that you have done that yourself I certainly when I learned that thought of myself as I always yeah. do, I guess. I was like, that's why I call my mom whenever anything happens to me. is because I have to, like, figure out what happened through telling my mom. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Until I don't tell my mom things because she flips out. <laughs> <laughs> and here's Dan McAdams, by the way. Hey, he's a, good, he's a <laughs> nice little guy. Little guy. Uh, and he also wrote... I included this whole quote because I thought it was so good. Uh, Culture exerts its strongest effects, however, on life stories by providing the canonical narrative forms, a menu of life narrative choices out of which people make meaning in and out of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I work in television and I my all I want to do with my life is write comedy, which is such a stupid thing to do when Trump is president because I think comedy is not going to help, like, at all. Like, who cares if everyone's making jokes about Trump it's not going to take him down but I do think like this is the point this is like how writing helps people is like 
if you create a new narrative form, like women, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mitra it really does that. <laughs> Mitra thinks it doesn't the other help comedy at all. Writer. But it's like the thing of like, if you're a dude and you want to hitchhike, like you can read on the road and that's like the narrative form for you. But if you're a girl and you want to hitchhike, it's like you're going to get killed. And maybe it's true that you're going to get, get killed anyways. But wild. I want to write a, you know, on the road book for women where they feel like they can do it. But honestly, that's probably going to end. A Wait, before we go to the next one. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I work in tech. I don't work for for uh, for comedy. Um, but this is super important. This this everything like each phase of your life you don't realize but the cultural impact that it's having on you like those are the narrative choices that are important to you and when they asked people to look back on their lives like those are the stories the stories that people told people about their 20s or 30s or 40s etc were ones that fit into the cultural narrative of those decades like oh 20s is when you discover yourself and 30s is when you like finally find yourself and then 40s is I don't know what happens yeah. when you're 40 whatever um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you die <laughs> is when you die um, yeah but this is this is critical so not yeah. only is it important the lies you tell yourself but it's also important to like know the lies that the culture is telling you too yeah yeah so Oh, Madeline wants to tell you about the fundamental attribution error. I sure do. So what is the fundamental attribution error? Okay. The fundamental attribution error is the uh, it is the cognitive bias that you do when someone else, probably a stranger, does something and you fundamentally tr- attribute in error. <laughs> <laughs> The reason <laughs> that they have made that action. So a single action instead becomes, like, not just a single action, but, like, the c- the explanation of their entire person. So somebody cuts you off on the road, like, that's a fucking asshole. Not, like, he cut me off on the road, but, like, that person is an asshole in general. Uh, and so that's, like, fundamentally yeah. attributing Whereas, like, an error. I cut someone off, and I'm like, well, I have to get to Harry Styles' concert. Stat. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So you give yourself, you know, you're, not only do you give yourself a break, but you are, like, attributing it to the real thing, which is, like, I'm late to Harry Styles' concert, which I never would be. It would be so <laughs> punctual. Um, but, you know... I need to I need to cut that person off because or I messed up beca- but I'm a normal person I'm not an asshole. Um yeah. However, is there another oh, yeah. little animation for this? There is. So, depressed people are less prone to making the fundamental attribution error. So, actually what happens is that so a healthy person, somebody who is not depressed, will give themselves a break but um fundamentally attribute wrong with other people. Um depressed people it will flip so you say i didn't answer that email i'm a fucking piece of shit and if somebody cuts you off on the highway they're like well they're probably going to hairstyles like you give other people excuses you you give other people a break you don't give yourself a break um and so that is important for me to point out to you because that is an unhealthy brain. A depressed person is an unhealthy brain. Right. Uh, they are doing something that is actually more rational. They are, like, lying less. Yeah, so study after study have found that depressed people lie less. And it, it makes sense because if you're depressed, you would sit around thinking about how, you know, in billions of years all the energy in the universe is going to become entropy and there will be no heat and every co- consciousness, human or otherwise, will be 
you know. The heat death of the universe stresses Blythe out a lot. I, I think about it once a year, and it makes me really sad for about two months at a time. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> I used to tutor kids, and it was hell for them when I was thinking about the heat death of the universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so the point here being really, like, obviously it's not like you can just decide to be happy all the time and lie to yourself, but... We all have cognitive biases, and if you're going to recognize that you do, now that we've, you know, given you all this quiz, you kind of recognize that you maybe lie to yourself, just try to make sure your biases are useful. Um, is there another? Oh, yeah. So here's Nietzsche. He said, the visionary lies to himself, the liar only to others. Mm. I think he was lying to himself if he thought this was a good mustache. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, I, Whoa. I was like, what joke can I make about this? I mean, look at here's the guy with a good mustache, <laughs> Harold Sackheim. Yeah. Um, okay, so now I'm super excited to uh, announce the next person. She's so good at giving advice. <laughs> She's my co host of this show. Um, I call her whenever I'm trying to make sense of my personal narrative or I'm really sad. Give it up for Madeline Freed. I was on stage already. Oh my. Okay, so this um, this show was a trick for me to give you unsolicited <laughs> advice. Um, it's not going to be funny. Hold on. Uh, you got. You're going to think it's a bit that it's not going to be funny, but it really isn't going to be funny. I'm really going to try to give you advice now about this topic, which I am prone to do often. Um, but you trust me. <laughs> I've been on stage this whole night. Okay. Uh, so what you say about yourself, as we've been talking about, is not strictly true. You know, we can talk about it being like this malleable thing that we can decide. Um, in fact, your narrative is distorting your perception of reality. If you are depressed or anxious, you are probably distorting your reality to your detriment. Uh, psychologists call these misperceptions cognitive disorders. Does everybody know what cognitive... Or, no, no, no. Cognitive... I'm so sorry. Cognitive distortions. Uh, if you have a cognitive disorder, that's a sickness. Um, remember... Cognitive distortions are not strictly false, uh, but they are just one way of perceiving reality, a way of perceiving reality that usually exhausts and defeats a person, so one of those not useful narratives. So here are some cognitive distortions. Maybe you'll find yourself among them. Uh, black and white thinking, something is all right or all wrong. Personalization, blaming yourself over things that are out of your control, attributing things that other people do as a result of your actions. My coworker was so rude to me. She must hate me because I've been doing so good. Should statements. I should have done better. Catastrophizing. Small, unpleasant event means the worst possible outcome. For example, I slept in. That means I don't work hard. That means I'll never accomplish anything of importance. That's a real one that I think. Uh, yeah, it's not funny either. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have worked on it, you know, in therapy. Uh, highly recommended. Magnifying, exaggerating the importance of negative problems. Minimizing, lowering the importance of positive problems, positive developments. 
Mind reader, thinking you know what somebody else is thinking. Fortune teller, thinking you know what's going to happen. Overgeneralization, something is always some way or never some way or a person is always doing this or never doing this. Discounting the positive. Emotional reasoning, the way that you feel must be the way that things are. If you feel stupid, you are stupid. Okay, so sometimes cognitive distortions are obviously false, but sometimes they are slippery little fish. So if you, <laughs> if you uh, felt knowledge of one of those things, that's good. If, if you didn't recognize yourself in any, you know, I don't know what you're doing in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they're not always obviously false. The facts can be selected to support the narrative, like the, the facts, the facts of your life can be selected to support that narrative, that cognitively distorted one. Especially if you like to exaggerate the importance of the negative, minimize the importance of the positive, um, that's important. I'm sure we all know people that are very sad and they talk to you and they're like, I'm unlucky in love or whatever. And you're like, well, what about that three-year relationship you were in? They're like, that doesn't count. Um, that's a distortion, obviously. Uh, but you can develop the awareness that those are distortions, and that's how you make the narrative um, useful to you. Distortions are a bloated funhouse mirror of reality, and that's what's so confusing about them is because reality, it's, reality is in there, it's just like blown out in, in confusing ways. Um, it's not that they're not true. It's just that there is a better, truer reality where everyone is pretty much just dogs doing their best. So that is not a delusion. Everybody's just a dog doing their best. That's not a delusion. But people like to say, like, oh, if you try to change your narrative, that's a delusion. It's not. Choosing a more helpful narrative is not a delusion. Delusion is, Googled, an idiosyncratic belief or impression that is firmly maintained despite being contradicted by what is generally accepted as reality or rational argument. So no matter what, you firmly maintain a wrong opinion despite reality. S delusion is insisting you're a piece of shit. That's a delusion. Despite all the evidence, you are not a piece of shit. Everybody's just a dog trying to do their best. You keep saying you are. Oh, by the way, saying you're a piece of shit is the way depressed people stay self-obsessed and the way adults who used to be precocious children insist that even their sadness is special. Hmm? I see you. <laughs> I am you. Okay. Okay, here's what isn't a delusion. Treating your foibles the way your dearest friend would. Yeah, you messed up, but it's okay. I love you for so many reasons that are still true, even though you messed up. What if you said that to yourself? Wouldn't that make it easier to try again? Uh... Self-esteem is not the same as self-compassion. Uh, I'm more a fan of self-compassion. Self-esteem is like, I don't know, it's fine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is. Um, 
self-compassion is treating yourself with compassion the way your best friend would. Um, and I think you really need self-compassion because you're going to need to mess up and try again your whole life. Okay, you need to become, you need to become good at noticing your cognitive distortions. So you can decide if they're good for you. This is called self-knowledge. Everybody develop it. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people are excited about being hard on themselves. That's something that everybody's always like real jazzed about. Um, I don't think that that cognitive distortion is useful for you. I don't think that anybody else in the world who is constantly yelling at you is very motivating. I don't know why you yourself yelling at yourself is. Anyway, think about it. Uh, okay, what do you want to be good at? Because you will only get good at the things that you are practicing. And if you don't have self-knowledge, you will be practicing something without realizing it. You'll be practicing pleasing other people and putting yourself last. You'll be practicing putting your happiness in the future. You'll be practicing making yourself feel so bad about failure that you will for feel better not doing anything. And you will get very good at those things without knowing. So what do you want to be good at? And can you fail at what you want to be good at and try again? Thank you. So that's our fucking show. That's it, baby. Yeah, that's it. This has all been to trick you to be compassionate with yourself. Um, yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. What good advice? Um, yeah, give it up for our performers, Alex Watt, Zach Zimmerman, Mitha Johari. Woo! And to Union Hall for surviving a fire that I read about on every website. I know. Um, so yeah, uh, this is a bar, but I think it's closing soon. So uh, come find us. We're probably going to go somewhere else. We're back in August talking about what happens to your body when you die. That's right. <laughs> Funereal science. Hello. Woo! All right. Thank you all for coming so much. Bye. Oh, love you. Bye. Justin, 20 seconds to LOS. The Scientist is held monthly at Union Hall in Brooklyn, New York. Hosts were Blythe Robertson and Madeline Freed. Live sound and recording by Dave Polk. Produced and edited by Shannon Manning for Good Orbit. Good. Nice to be in orbit. <laughs>